welcome to the Build a Life After Loss podcast, uplifting support for your grief and healing journey. Our aim is to encourage your hope in the future and strengthen your confidence so that you can build a life of purpose and joy. I'm your host, Julie Clough. Hello, hello. Good morning, my friends. Welcome to episode 83, Finding Purpose, an interview with Lark Dean Galley. Okay, so here's the latest. You guys know that I was building a house and then we canceled our contract. Well, we found another house and it's perfect for us. Super excited to be able to move into this new house, this new older home (laughs) that is right around the corner from where we are planning on building. So it's just kind of worked out perfectly. We close on that house next week. So stay tuned. Hopefully all goes well. Just wanted to give you a little update. I've been kind of sharing our journey of moving, selling our house, and then we were planning on building and canceling, and then we found this other home that's going to be perfect. And we were able to adjust to the circumstances and move forward. So super excited about that. Today, I have a special interview for you. This is an interview with Lark Dean Galley, and she shares how multiple losses led her to the work she does today. Her work today is to inspire others to stay on the planet. So here's her a little more about her, Lark. After working in the corporate world for 25 years, Lark Galley left to run her father's trucking company when he passed away unexpectedly from suicide after struggling with mental illness for most of his life. Her business experience allowed her to streamline the company And nine months later, she was working only one hour a week, realizing there were many entrepreneurs who could benefit from her experience. Lark started her own consulting business. Her 19 year old son's suicide in March, 2019 reinforced what she'd been hearing from many of her high achieving clients. They felt unworthy and incapable of reaching their goals. Lark went from coaching on the externals to focusing on why each person matters. Her goal is to help a hundred thousand people choose to stay on this planet and step into their greatness. Here's the interview. I am so thrilled to have Lark Galley with me today. She is a wonderful woman and a friend, and I'm excited for you to hear her story and, um, and what she has how she's come out on the other end. I'm really grateful that she's here today. Lark, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story. So I am a, what I thought was a mom of three until about uh, just over two years ago when uh, my husband found out that he had what I call my bonus boy and overnight grandchildren. So we now have four grandchildren, like I said, overnight. So I am the mother of four and uh, that has been a, a beautiful blessing. I can um, talk to that in a little bit as my story goes along. But I was in the corporate world most of uh, my adult life, left to start my own businesses and was running businesses, doing all of that, just really very involved in streamlining business, coaching business, all of that, and just excited to produce and grow, etc. And then just over a year ago, in 2019, um, my son, 19 year old son took his life. And that's when the whole world shifted for us. Mm. 
Yeah, I can I I can only imagine how that has been just you know, you, you think about we think about like the before and after and this is just a defining moment. Right, absolutely. I mean, as we were going through this whole grief cycle, not only did I feel like I had lost my son, but I was now feeling like I lost my husband and my daughters because we were all struggling with different stages of grief and dealing with it in our own ways, which meant that, that they were isolating themselves. And so the whole family has gone through a transition and just really had to come to terms with what does life mean now? For sure. And, and what you speak to is this whole idea of secondary loss. It's not just what we've lost, but it's everything else that co- goes along with it. So tell what? me, tell me a little bit about your son. What, what's his name? His name's Christian. And uh, he was 19 when he passed away in March 2021 20, of 2019. He was a freshman at the University of Utah in uh, environmental, excuse me, no, he was with the engineering, the, the mechanical engineering. My husband's a mechan- uh, an environmental engineer. That's why I get them mixed up in my head. But he was doing something that he absolutely loved. He had friends, he had hobbies, he had everything in the world to look forward to. And that's why his choice just completely caught us off guard. It was devastating. And, you know, you talk about loss and grief and the loss of of what this son could have done, you know, he had a brilliant mind as far as like being able to contribute to society. As a parent, you look at this loss and think, you know, what could have been with him getting married, him having children, his whole life ahead of him. That's part of the loss that we experienced as well. It sure is because you've lost your hope, the hopes and dreams, the future of what you expected. Yes. Mm. So tell me what things looked like before all this happened. Well, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. My son and I, we did not have this beautiful bonding relationship. It wasn't like that, which in some ways, you know, it was a regret that I had and it it did make it feel very sad and heavy for me when he passed away because he was very alpha male. You know, dad was the only one that could tell him what to do. Mom knew nothing. And he was continually arguing with me about everything. You know, 19 year old boy. And a lot of moms can appreciate this, but this, this was going on since he was three years old. He was just testing those limits and testing me every day. I remember I would go to pick him up from daycare after my work. And I would tell myself, okay, today I doesn't matter what he says. I am not going to lose my temper with him. There is nothing he can do to trigger me. And this boy was like a seasoned defense attorney. He just would dig in and go after me. And every day we would pull out of that parking lot. And my promise to myself was completely out the window. He just knew how to push my buttons. And so our relationship was really difficult before he passed away. I was very frustrated with him and just looking forward to the day when he could move out on his own and, you know, all the things that he didn't want to do, like take out the trash, he could then not take out his trash if that's what he chose to do or could choose not to add, do his laundry. These, these things, just frustrating things. And yet uh, I look at how frustrating and, and how much he played that role in my life every day. And I look at it now and I, 
he's still a very big part of my life. And yet it's a, it's a grief. It's a whole, uh, it's a, a missing part that now is played out in my life. Mm. Well, and I, I appreciate your honesty because so often when we lose someone that we love, because even with the frustrations we, we love, right. And we lose someone we love and then we, then we start to just uh, paint a, a perfect picture. And so it's, it's important that we look at all aspects of the relationship. And you know, when he passed away, that was part of it. I just started to sink into this really dark hole and, and would think he doesn't love me. I'm a terrible mom. You know, I failed him all these different things. And I had within a week of his passing, three different people reach out to me. And it all started with, I have a message from your son. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Oh, oh, really? Yes, do tell. And all three of them, the very first sentence was, tell my mom that I love her. Mm. And wow. that brought me such comfort. Yeah, I bet. I, I, I truly believe that in any loss, there are miracles surrounding it. And, and that speaks to that idea that, I mean, that's a miracle. It is. And I will tell you that in the beginning, when I found out that, you know, he had passed away by suicide, the shame and the guilt and just the embarrassment, I wasn't going to tell anybody. I just wanted to sink into a black hole and die because my father had died by suicide five years ago before, five years before my son passed away. And I had hardly told anyone I had best friends who didn't know that that's how he died. And I physically could not talk about it. And that's where I was headed with my son. And then over the few days after he passed away, um, friends of mine who knew what had happened reached out to me and told me how their children were struggling. And these kids knew my son. And my greatest concern at that point was not, you know, was I a good parent? Or why didn't I see my son struggling? Or what was his problem? It was about trying to save these children who might make the same choice as my son because of this copycat glamorizing the suicide. And that's when I started to come out. And that's what has helped heal me is as I share my son's story, I feel him close to me. And that's how in part I've been able to heal this, this sad story that we had before he passed away. I actually feel closer to him now than I did before he passed. Mm, that's that really is that really is beautiful. I I wonder if you could talk a little more about that, you know, shame and guilt and everything that went along with that and how you you know, you talked about like talking about it has helped, but how internally did you deal with that? It, it was hard. It was really hard. It took me several days and I just sunk into this this depression for a few days and with my father I have, was actually in a depression for like five months it was a black hole and I would go to meetings and I couldn't remember what was happened in the meetings I'd take notes and I'd think to myself yes that's my handwriting but I don't remember you know what these notes meant and I felt myself slipping into that area with my after my son passed and I thought I can't afford to lose five months of my life or five years of my life especially when I see my family, each, each one of them spiraling out of control. My husband, who is a retired military colonel, 
who up to that point I'd seen cry twice in our marriage. And one of those times was at his mom's funeral, very hardened, battle hardened man. And he was distraught three days. He cried straight for three days, just sobbing. And I could see where all of this was going with each one of my family members. And I thought, I, I don't have the luxury of slipping into a black hole if we are going to make it as a family. And that was part of it. The other part was making a decision. And it's hard to make a decision to, to rise up over something. But that was something that I had to do and say, is, this is not about me. And I can't change the past. It's not what I want, but I can't change it. So what can I change? What can I do? I can find a way to tell this story so that it will change the lives of other people. And that's what I hung on to. I just absolutely hung on to that. And I started learning as much as I could about what was going on with the suicide, with suicide in Utah, with the youth. I did not know it was the number one killer of youth in our state. And I thought I was a pretty good parent. I thought that I would, you know, warn my children about things. We would talk about things. And yet this never came up with, with as a, you know, something that was a serious issue. And so I felt completely like I had failed as a parent in this area. And so I would start doing Facebook lives and I would tell people what I had learned with regards to suicide prevention and what we needed to do, because I didn't want any other parent to have to experience what we experienced and just the not being informed. That's what I regret is that I wasn't better informed. Mm. Well, you know, Lark, there are very few people, very uh, nobody that I know of except you, very few people that would could have the strength to be on the other side, like so soon on the other side and be sharing that message. Well, I will tell you, it, it was kind of a process. Um, there were some things that happened in my life earlier that that were very, very difficult. The first one was when I was um, married for seven years and my my first husband left me six months pregnant and uh, just left the country, <laughs> gone. And that was hard. That was really hard. I can remember 18 months of just complete dark hole devastation difficulty. And my daughter is what kept me going. And then, like I mentioned, my father's suicide, how very devastating that was and trying to cope. And so I look back and I see these were milestones in my life where I had to make some choices and they took me months to process through. And with my son, I realized I didn't have months. I was going to lose the rest of my family if I didn't make some hard choices. And there had to be something good that could come of this terrible thing. And, and I just really had to make a decision and say, I don't have the luxury of going into a hole. That was my only choice. Mm. You know, and I love that you're talking about choice because choice is huge. Just making decisions, choosing, choosing to heal. You know, a lot of people never make the choice to heal. Right. And I saw that so often with uh, different groups where parents lost their children. 
And I started to join a few of these Facebook groups and, and I realized these mothers were cycling around and they had kids that had died three years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and they were still telling the same story. And I'm like, I, I cannot do that. I have got to have a life that, that there is some joy in it, that there is some kind of um, meaning that says my message has made an impact. And I had to consciously step away from those groups where they were choosing not to move forward because that's not what I wanted my legacy to be is one of uh, depression and just a lack of joy. And then going through the whole grief cycle, that that's difficult and uh, in and of itself, as you well know, and we just crossed the one year mile mark with my son. And that was, you know, just once again, another difficult week where we knew it was coming up and we could kind of, each of us could kind of feel a little bit off and, and weird and, and sensitive and just knowing that these milestones are there and that we all have grief that we need to deal with as best we can. Yeah. And I, I warn against those Facebook groups all the time. You know, when my kids uh, died, it was literally the week, the, the year before I joined Facebook. So it was in the very, very, very early stages of Facebook. And we didn't, when, when something bad happened, we didn't have a social media group to go to. There was no, there was no such thing. And, and I see these groups now and I see the same thing. I see the lack of hope. I see the, the, the actual, um, what do I, how do I want to say this? The actual, like it's, it's propping up this idea that a mother who's lost children is always going to suffer and always be in pain. And I just don't believe it has to be that way. Right. And I totally agree with you. And that once again is a choice that, that I made. And it, you know, you look at these things about um, regret and sadness. I regret that I did not strive to improve the relationship earlier in our lives. Um, something beautiful two weeks before he passed away, he and I, my son and I did have an opportunity to have dinner together and he could be very open with me about, you know, Hey mom, I wish you and dad had done some things differently. And I said, yes, I agree. I understand. But you know, as parents, as you'll find as a parent is what I told him um, that you do the very best you can with what you know at the time. And so we're, we're, we made changes to the family rules so that we could, you know, help them feel like they were more involved with, with deciding how their lives would be. And so I, I look at those moments and I'm grateful for those moments. Um, and just this situation with my son has changed the way I have parented my other kids and the way I look at my role as a parent in their lives. It's completely different now. In what ways? So before, I honestly felt like I was my children's savior, that if they weren't good people, if they didn't make all the right choices, if they didn't make it back to God, that I had failed. And now I'm like, wow, that was a heavy burden. And so mm -hmm. after my son died, I just took that burden off. And I said, you know what? As a parent, my role is to love my children, to support and guide my children, to be their cheerleader. My role is not to judge them. 
It is not to dictate them. It is not to give them conditional love based on whether or not I think they've been good. It is simply to love, guide, and support. And that's the way I try to interact with my children now. Mm, I love that. It's, that's a very, very important message. And it's one that, like you, I learned to, you know, later. <laughs> I learned after when my kids were grown and I could see how controlling I was trying to be in making sure, like you said, that they like lock stepped in line, everything they were supposed to do at the right time, the right place and so forth. And that puts a lot of pressure on you as a parent and puts a lot of pressure on them. And then they're always concerned. Well, what if I don't do what mom and dad want? You know, what does that mean for me? And am I out of the family? And I just think people, our children are looking for love and acceptance just the way they are. That's it. For sure. And I think we all are doing that. We all are looking for that love and acceptance just the way we are. And I think that's one of the reasons we're here living on this earth is to figure out how to love, how to love better. And, and, and that's, that's why for me, when I look back and I have regrets about the past, like, like you said before, we can't change the past from our present knowledge. We did the best we could with our knowledge at the time all we can do is is be true to the to the things that we're learning right and so if i know something better now how am i implementing it now i can't change before but what am i doing now that is going to help me live up to my higher knowledge and how am i interacting with my spouse with my children my grandchildren with my neighbors and friends um, before my son died, I, I'm a very task oriented personality type. It was about tasks. And now with my son's passing, I realize that everything revolves around relationships, even work, you know, it's all about relationships. How can I improve my relationships with my family members, my friends, my coworkers, associates, neighbors? It's just about relationships. And more importantly, it's about love, about loving and accepting them just the way they are. Because, you know, I'm not asking them to change their lifestyle and they're not asking me to change my lifestyle. And we're just loving each other for who we are. And those are important, hard-won lessons. Yes. <laughs> it's not been easy coming up with these lessons and it's hurt. Yeah, it does hurt. It does hurt. I agree. How have you given yourself permission to grieve? What does that look like for you? Well, first of all, I was one, the one in the family who kind of came through the grief cycle the fastest. And I was a little bit uh, upset that everybody else wasn't getting on with the show as well. You know, they could have their grief cycle, but it needed to be faster. And I had to step back and allow everybody in the family to have their own grief cycles according to their timeline. It wasn't about my timeline. Uh, I have a daughter that's 19. She's now in basic training and she won't even talk about her brother. She will leave the room if I bring it up. And I 
instead of trying to force her to confront this, I just had to let it go and say, she's going to have to deal with this on her terms when, when she can. And so I had to stop trying to force that um, with my husband, you know, allowing him to just be devastated for months on end, um, trying to help him see way, maybe ways that he could um, move forward in his life and, and get some help in different ways, but uh, to allow him to grieve. And that was really hard for me. And conversely, they had to allow me to speak about it because they didn't want to talk about it. And I was over here talking to every person in the world, you know, that would even expressed an interest in knowing what they could do for suicide prevention. And I will tell you this, you know, just over a year ago, if you had told me that you would be on a platform talking about suicide prevention, or you would be talking about God and in, in public forums and just doing all this spiritual stuff, I would have said, no, you're crazy. I don't talk about my spiritual stuff. That's my personal stuff. And I don't talk about suicide prevention because that is embarrassing. And that's a stigma. And that doesn't happen to normal people. And yet here I am and I'm just moving forward and trying to say this is a hard lesson and it's a hard path, but I want to talk about it so that I can help you understand that you never want to be on this path, first of all. And second of all, that if you're thinking of suicide, we need you. We need every person to stay on this planet because you have a message that only you can deliver. And if you're not here to deliver that message, when another person down the road needs to hear that message, you're not going to be there for them. And that's huge. And that's why we are so connected and we need each other. Mm, you are absolutely compelled to share your message. I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I love it. I love it. I. I, I love that you have adjusted or you've, you've taken everything that's happened and you've allowed it to transform you. Yes. You know what? And honestly, grief transforms us. I want to say at the DNA level, I am not the same person I was a year ago. Um, the things that used to upset me, I just can't even go into that sphere anymore. It just doesn't even phase me anymore. It completely changed my inner being. And it has helped me to become more compassionate, more patient, more loving. All of these things that we love to strive for and to be, we just don't want to pay the price to be there. Yeah. And I, I totally agree. And I think too often we think of grief as being crushing, which it is crushing. It is absolutely crushing, but we don't recognize it as it's the path to healing. Yes. The grief is the path to healing. The grief is the, tr the path to transformation. Absolutely. You know, and we do have to go through grief and, and there have been times when the grief was so overwhelming. It was just debilitating for me. Um, I kind of got out of the shoot pretty quickly as far as like, okay, I'm going to take on tasks. I'm going to learn how to do this. I'm going to, you know, cope with this. And so in the, in the beginning months, I actually did much better thinking that with time, it will heal my wounds. 
That's not really what happened. At about the four and a half month mark, it really hit me and my husband hard. It was, yeah, he's not coming back. You know, he's never going to walk through that door again. And it started to get harder. And at the six month mark, it was so heavy on my heart. I could barely breathe. And I went out walking. I was in Southern Utah at a retreat that weekend. And I went out walking by myself out in the Red Rock. And I had a talk with God and my son. And I said, I want to share this message, but I need you to take away this piercing pain in my heart that hurts so badly that I can barely breathe. And it was gone. It's not that the sadness was gone, but the overwhelming pain that like that you're walking around with a stake in your heart, that part was gone so that I could breathe and so that I could continue to share the story because I couldn't do it being so weighed down with just the grief. Yeah. I remember you telling me about that and that is when we can, your belief, your faith, your conviction, your conviction of your purpose and your, your message is really powerful. Thank you. You know what? And I don't doubt it for a minute. I absolutely feel like God has given me this calling. Uh, it's not anything that I would have wanted. I don't know that anybody, you know, raises their hand and say, yeah, I'll take that one, please. Um, but I feel like it is an absolute calling from God. And I, I am not a therapist. I'm not a doctor. I am nothing in that field. I am simply a concerned parent who wants to make a difference in the lives of other parents and other children. And I made a promise to God. I said, I will do whatever you need me to do. I just need you to open the doors. And sometimes it's been like, oh, I need to talk about that. Ooh, okay, fine. We'll talk about that. Or, oh, I'm writing a book. Okay, apparently I'm writing a book. Or I'm going to be on other people's podcasts. Or whatever it is, I'm going to do it because I have promised that I will share my message. And the doors have been opening. You know, um, I had a big publisher talking to me earlier today about this book that I've finished the rough draft for and getting ready to, to release to a publisher and just the miracles, because I am so impassioned about this story that people need to hear. And the most gratifying thing for me is after I share my story, later people will come to me and they'll either tell me or call me or they'll shoot me a message on Facebook or a text and they will tell me the outcome of how my story has impacted them. And that is the payoff for me to see their lives have changed. Amazingly rewarding. Absolutely. You know, I often say my mission found me and I said, yes. And that it feels like you <laughs> have had that same experience. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And you just look at it and you're like, wow, that was interesting that I chose that, but okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's a very, this is your story. As much as we want to wish that it was unusual, unfortunately is not unusual. And I, and I hear this all the time. I, I hear this story all the time. We had no idea. And then this happened. 
And so what do, what do you tell parents? You know what? Um, I would say, number one, make it a safe environment for your children to share. Okay. So when my son was almost 16, he, he experienced a little bit of depression that he was showing and uh, took him to a therapist. And basically he, he had a heart to heart with a therapist. I came in and then it was like, mom, I don't believe in God. I believe in science. Okay, son, you run with that. I believe God is science, but you know, you, you run with that. I honestly think he thought I was going to be very angry and maybe yell and scream and tell him that he needed to get out of the house, which is all shocking to me because we're, we're a pretty open family. And I don't know, you know, I don't even know why he would have felt that, but that to me shows me that he was afraid to tell me what was really going on with him. And so I think that is really important is to create an environment where what if my son had said, Hey mom, I'm gay. Or I got the girl down the street pregnant. We need to understand that once again, we are not there to dictate to our children. We are simply there to love and guide them. And they need that from us more than anything else. And so often we as parents look at our children and say their actions, their performance or non-performance reflects on me as a parent. And we take that on and we try to push our children. And that's not the way it is at all. If, if we can separate who they are versus what our image is, because that's very selfish, then we can be there to be their guide and to love them without the conditions. Yeah, one of the questions that sometimes I'll ask myself and, and need to ask myself more often is, what is my motivation? You know, if my motivation is to change someone in order to make me feel better about myself, then that's not a pure motivation. Exactly. That is spot on. And yet we do it so much with our children and we think, well, I'm doing it for their best. Was it for their best or for our best? You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and a lot of times, you know, we being older and more experienced, we can see where the road is going if they stay on a certain road. But our yelling, screaming, preaching is is not going to help them. They're a they're they're their own entity. They're going to make their own decisions. And I look at my son and I think, well, I'm a big advocate of making your own decisions, and he certainly did. So if I believe in that, then I have to allow him his choice. And yet it hurts me, and it it makes me sad that that's what he felt was his only choice. And yet I feel like what more could I have done to help him know that it didn't matter what he did or didn't do or performance that I was just there to love him. Yeah. And you said, uh, you said a minute ago to love and guide. And I think the message that you're sharing is love and guide, but then don't freak out when they don't go the direction that you're guiding. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That's it. You know, you just need to be the voice of reason. And if the mom or the dad has lost the voice of reason, the kid's not going to come to them for any guidance. For sure. Anything else that you would suggest to parents? You know, I think this whole idea of a safe environment, we're there to love and guide is super important. That, and just be really real with the children. Um, Don't ask them, oh, you know, are you feeling sad? Those kinds of things. If you see them really struggling, say, 
are you feeling suicidal? You have to call out and you have to use the hard words because if you can't use them, then they're not going to use them. And if they are feeling suicidal, they're already telling themselves that they're a terrible person and you know who does this. And so if you can't say it, then they certainly can't say it. Uh, have the hard conversations. I know when I went to the high school to break the news to my youngest daughter, who was a senior, and we went into a room and she just broke out just sobbing. And I said, well, let, let's get you home. And she said, no, mom, I can't, I have to run. And she was on the track team and she wanted to just leave the high school and just run and run and run for miles. And I had to tell her is even though she was distraught, I said, I need to know from you that you are going to be in a safe place that you are not going to harm yourself. Tell me this, tell me that. And she said, yes, I am fine. And I, and I had to let her run. I had to let her go, but I had to have that very hard conversation with her because I couldn't show up with another dead child on my hand that day. I just couldn't do it. And so since then there have been a couple of times where I've had to have conversations with my spouse, with my other kids and say, tell me where you're at. Are you struggling? Do you know, do you need help? It's not an easy conversation, but sometimes these are conversations that have to be had in order to save your children or save the ones you love. Yeah. Thank you. What would you tell parents who have experienced what you've experienced? How can they, we get, I'm telling you the world right now is telling them there's no coming back. There's no, there's their life is over too. And that I'm, I know that's how it feels in the beginning, but what would you tell a parent that's gone through what you've gone through? You know what? I remember like the week before my son's one year anniversary, the, the negative thoughts started to come back and it was like, I wish it could have been differently. I wish this, I wish he wasn't dead. I wish, I wish, I wish. And that, and when I, when those thoughts come up, I start to spiral down into the black hole and I have to catch myself and I have to say, okay, it doesn't matter what I wish. Let's stop talking and thinking about what I cannot change. I can't do anything about that. I, I have regrets, but what can I do? What can I focus on that helps me to stay out of those dark thoughts that spiral down? And I would say to, to parents or to people who've lost a loved one, you need to find something that's bigger than you. You need to find a reason. And for several months after my son passed away, even though I felt like I was sharing my message. I had to have a reason that was bigger than I was. And I was doing some meditation and I finally got my reason. And the reason was um, my husband's from New Orleans and he's a rabid LSU fan. And I am always hearing statistics about the LSU team and stadium. And <laughs> that stadium holds 104,000 people. And suddenly in my meditation, I was in that stadium and I was on a stage and 104,000 people were walking past me saying, thank you for sharing your message. Because of your message, I chose to stay on this earth. And that's a significant number of people. And I just think that is my mission. That is my reason, my why, to get up in the morning and to keep going on, even when it hurts and even when it's hard. 
because I want to make a difference, something that's bigger than me. And, and that's what I think somebody needs to find. And other people's mission or message is not the same as mine. You know, we all have different ways we can impact. And maybe it's like um, my neighbor up the street, her daughter passed away three months after my son and her, her passing was from an, an, an overdose intentional or not. We don't quite know. She had been struggling with, she was in her late twenties and living at home and she'd been struggling with um, alcoholism and different drug overdoses. And she had, uh, she, she was very sick uh, and just struggling that way. And so for my friend up the street, her mission is taking on the three children that her daughter left behind, as well as several other grandkids that she has and loving and mothering and helping in ways that maybe their parents can't fulfill all those roles. That's her mission. And it's bigger than she is. And it's overwhelming. I don't know that I would want to take on 20 grandkids as my mission. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. So it's finding something that speaks to you. That's bigger than who you are. That's how you go on. And just as a side note, as I mentioned, when we, when we started about my bonus boy and, and four grandkids and daughter-in-law who are lovely, they have saved our family's life. Honestly, um, they came into our lives of just about a year before my son passed away. They got to know him. Um, he got to know them. Absolutely love those grandkids. And that has given my husband meaning to know that there are four little kids in the world that think Papa walks on water mm. and it, that has been a blessing. And I see the God winks in ways that just help comfort us when it's hard. Yeah. It gives you purpose and, and boy, what a, what a vision, what a vision you've been given. What a gift that is to have that vision, to see that stadium of people, to, to see that gathering and, you know, when we have vision, it gives us something to walk towards. Exactly. Because, you know, not every day is happy, you know, rainbows and unicorns, as my son used to say, it isn't (laughs) like that. It isn't like that at all. It's just moment by moment choosing to do something higher and better. That's going to keep me out of the dark hole. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I thank you so much for sharing with us just everything, sharing how this has impacted you, how you have moved forward. I will say that, you know, like I mentioned before, highly unusual for someone to respond as quickly as you have to be able to process and go through grief. There is no timeline on grief. And, and so I would just you know, offer to, to the listeners, if it's been seven years or 10 years, it doesn't mean that you can't turn around and make a choice to heal. The the choice is always available to us. And, and, and if you're one year and you're like, I'm not ready to make, I, I, I can't make that leap yet. That's okay too. But I, I really appreciate everything that you've shared. Tell us a little bit about your book, when that's coming out, how people can reach you. So um, for my website, LarkDeanGalley.com, um, I put some resources up there for people who might be struggling. And uh, some people asked me to put together like a, an emotional self-reliance course, which I thought was funny because before my son passed away, you know, I wouldn't have done anything with the word emotion in it at all. So that's kind of funny, but just some, some skills to maybe build up our 
our self-reliance so that when different things happen to us, especially in volatile times, how can we keep our, our emotional stability strong and moving forward? And um, so, like I mentioned, my, my first draft of my book is done. I'm talking to one publisher, looking at talking with another one shortly and just looking at different options and ways to get my book out as um, to the broadest audience possible. Um, I'm going to put it on uh, an audible version of that, you know, once, once we move forward with it, so that can be released fairly soon. And uh, then also I have been um, working with Richard Paul Evans to um, bring about a, a, a seminar slash online membership course for women to help empower women. And that's something that's launching as well. It's called tribe of Queens. Um, our Facebook public page tribe of Queens, but it's absolutely beautiful. And it gives me an opportunity to share my message with other women and to help them in ways that they can move forward. Wonderful. And we'll, we'll have all of that in the show notes. So if you're listening and you're like, okay, what, what was the website again? Just go to the show notes. It'll be there so that you can reach, reach Lark. I, I love what you're doing. And I, I hope that if I can help in any way with tribe of Queens or anything else that you're doing that, that uh, you will reach out because it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to watch somebody take a horrible situation and, and I, on the podcast before I've mentioned, you know, just because you've had something bad happen doesn't mean that you, and I liked the fact that you mentioned, you know, your neighbor who is helping with grandkids as a result of, you know, that's become her meaning. That's become her purpose and her vision is to help there. So just because you've had something hard happen doesn't mean that we have to like create uh, a, a platform necessarily. It's, it's whatever that calling is for you, but I I love what you're doing. I absolutely love it. I'm I'm grateful that I had the opportunity to meet you. I can't tell you how many times people came up to me before we met and said, "Have you met Lark yet? Have you met Lark yet?" <laughs> so it was meant to be. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. Did you have anything else that you wanted to share before we go? You know what? Life is good. Times are that can be hard and it can be a struggle, but, but life is good and life goes on. And um, this, it's not just about this moment. I, I really believe that if this is just a, a moment in time and that everything will be fine. Mm, yes. Thank you, Lark. Thanks, Julie. Fascinating interview, wasn't it? I so appreciate Lark's willingness to come on and share her journey and how her grief had stacked and then she was able to move forward and find her purpose in life. So super grateful to Lark for being on the show. I wanted to let you know that on June 2nd, we have our next Build a Life After Loss virtual workshop. You do not want to miss this. It's regularly $27, but now it's only $5. So register today. It's worth well more than even $27 because we're going to be talking about why you feel like you're on shaky ground and what to do about it and how you can shape your environment for success and how to use right brain and left brain functions 
these functions that change during loss and how to use that to your advantage, even the change. Also, the new book, Miracles in the Darkness, Building a Life After Loss, is coming out in July. If you are ready, and I hope you are, to read the first chapter, go to the website, buildalifeafterloss.com, and download the first chapter. Thank you so much for being here. I love being here with you each week. I believe in you. Bye.